Hi, I'm Peter Ropeth. Welcome to episode three of Alt Control Create, the podcast about creativity and creative businesses in these changed and challenging times, brought to you in association with Expo North. For this episode, I had the great pleasure of talking to the inimitable Meredith O'Shaughnessy. Meredith is a highly innovative, experiential marketeer and brand strategist. Once dubbed the pop-up queen of London, projects such as the opening of London's first avocado-only restaurant, just as the avocado was set to go mainstream in the minds of eager consumers, to the development of Rudolph's Christmas Rage Room, have confirmed Meredith as not only an industry disruptor, but also a creative event specialist with the truly astonishing ability to foresee emerging trends in popular culture and to create experiences and events that are culturally relevant for consumers. Not content to simply respond to client briefs, with her company, the Meredith Collective, Meredith stages unique consumer events that have also become hot-ticket retail opportunities for innovative and forward-thinking brands. But with the onset of the pandemic, experience marketing faced a unique challenge, with digital emerging as perhaps the only viable marketing route for brands. Well, think again. For Meredith, the events of the last few months mean that the time is now ripe for companies of all sizes to revisit the concept of the digital, the blend of physical and digital marketing activities and platforms, that create enticing and rewarding journeys for customers and clients alike. What has also emerged in the lockdown is evidence, if ever it were needed, that physical contact and communication are fundamental to our lives and that the commercial route out of the economic hit of the pandemic is therefore bound to be fully focused on connection and experience, as the Eat Out to Help Out campaign may have proven, and not on a splurge of retail acquisition for its own sake. In this episode, you will hear plenty of off-stage traffic noise. Yep, we are all working from home, but also such acronyms as FMCG also pop into the conversation, being shorthand for fast-moving consumer goods. You can connect with Meredith and the Meredith Collective at the website meredithcollective.co, which I definitely think you should. And if you like this podcast, why not check out the previous episodes, like, subscribe and download, Tell your friends and colleagues about these fascinating conversations. But for now, I'll leave the rest to Meredith. Thanks so much for doing this, uh, Meredith, and for taking the time to talk to us. Um, Can I ask you, first of all, how was 2020 going for you prior to the the lockdown? And what kind of projects were happening for you? And also, what do you think were sort of some of the issues that were predominant in your industry, marketing and experiential marketing at that time? Um, You know, where were we at at that point prior to this sort of pandemic? Um. I think it's it's interesting. I think from the from a broader broad point of view, I think actually experiential marketing was moving into a new, really exciting time. I started um, kind of doing events, I guess, in two thousand and twelve, um, and there wasn't really such a thing as experiential marketing. Nobody was really talking about it, and it started to evolve. And it's been it, the the term experiential marketing is quite a broad one and applies across 
across a huge range of of um, different areas. And some people think it's kind of sampling in a supermarket where the things that I tend to do are these kind of very high-end, creative, immersive experiences where you're really talking about brand storytelling. Yeah. So that has really emerged in the last kind of four or five years. We did our first pop-up, um, which was a 21-day pop-up called Nordic Yule Fest, where we brought Finlandia on board and we had a taxidermy bear in the corner and acrobats coming down from the ceiling and snowstorms. And that was in 2014. And at the time, it was completely pioneering and nobody had really done anything like that. And brands were really still very, very unsure. If you spoke to marketing directors, they still were thinking that they really had to just go down traditional routes when they were trying to think about their kind of marketing strategy. And experiential and experiences just, um, it's been coming through and really has become much higher up on the agenda. Campaign are doing their first conference, even even though it's you know 2020 and experience of shutdown, are doing their first conference this year on brand experiences, which just shows that they've identified that it's a really important area. Having said that, of course, 2020s here and what we would consider, you know, physical experiences sure. have had to fundamentally change. So for my business, um, we we offer a consultancy arm, but we also build experiences that we design ourselves. And we were having some really interesting conversations yeah. with huge cultural institutions, um, such as the Royal Opera House, about talking about how they could leverage experiences around their performances to bring in new audiences. We were in conversations with the British government about putting uh, an experience into Expo 2020 in Dubai for Creativity Week, which is all based on the migration of birds and how you could use experiences to have challenging conversations. We were doing a big project with Unilever, which was helping them elevate a pop-up store that they were going to create which is kind of shifted so on kind of from my accountant's point of view <laughs> 2020 has been you know there was a full stop that happened and there was a reset and there was people had to um change their plans and rethink about how we connected and what that meant and was everyone going to go digital and what were we going to do and but i think within that there's been a real opportunity to Think about what we actually want and where I like to sit and what I really care about is creating experiences that mean something to people. And brands can then use that to communicate their messages, communicate what they're about and, you know, connect with new audiences. And I don't, fundamentally, that hasn't changed. So I'm still very positive about you know, the year ahead and the things we get to do and conversations are starting up again. So we're now just coming into September and there is certainly an appetite to get back out there. So that was a long answer to your question, a- but it covered quite a lot of, you know, six months is a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's quite difficult to remember some of it as well because that just seems to be the nature of, of the lockdown experience. But before getting into some of those other issues, can I just ask, was this a kind of... Marie Celeste moment for you when the lockdown come? Did your business like kind of just stop? Yeah, I mean, I think it, yes, it was, it's work essentially, you know, what, traditional work, so work where you're building or creating or designing did stop. Um, and 
we were very, I was very mindful um, about the fact that actually the people that we were having conversations with really needed support. And I took time to reach out to my my clients and my contacts and my network and just check in with them and just say, you know, how are you doing? Is there anything we can do to help? I. I work across a range of industries, so they tend to be kind of luxury, FMCG, um, travel, hospitality, and cultural institution, government. So by having that range, I was like, can I help you? Because I'm having these broad range conversations. Is there other information that I can give you that might assist you? Um, I I didn't stop. And actually, I have designed uh, an immersive walkthrough experience which i'm launching at the end of this year okay. uh, which is a multi-brand experience and that's based around rewilding and how we can use a conversation about how nature has come into our cities during lockdown so i've actually used it to kind of plug into creativity and say actually when we come out of this brands are going to want to be part of experiences but they may not want to fully own them um and we have a real challenge in london where there's kind of decreased footfall um there's a lot of businesses that are worrying about people not coming back in because offices are closed theaters are closed so i've created something which is a transitional piece between you know when everything is fully open again um that allows people to come and experience some wonder again and some hope and some positivity, which is, I think, super important at the moment. I mean, I, mean, I think that's very interesting because one of the things that has kind of happened during this period is almost immediately with the lockdown and this kind of huge shift towards digital communication and, and so on, that coupled with that was a real sense of people having a desire for change in the whole of their working lives, in the whole of the marketplace, changes on the level of society, you know. And I don't think that just happened with um, the pandemic. There was also, of course, during this time, the Black Lives Matter thing, a big sort of sense of social change, you know. Have you noticed that? Is that being seen through, do you think? Are the people you're talking to wanting to deliver that kind of change in their brands and in their approach to marketing and their messaging? Are they are they marketing into a different world or is the old world still there? I mean, we've always been an incredibly diverse company. You know, I've, I've always had an incredibly diverse workforce. We have always thought about how can we be better? How can we be more sustainable? How can we answer to the, the, the needs of the time? And so as a company, we haven't had to fundamentally change our approach because it was something that was already ingrained in what we were doing. Sure. Um, what I have noticed is brands that have tried to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. So, you know, certainly after Black Lives Matter that set up panels for, you know, uh, panels when they were kind of like, well, let's talk about diversity, but then weren't offering to pay the activists and, and you know, the black people that they were inviting onto these panels to talk about their lived experiences and weren't offering fees for things like that, which I just think is completely wrong <laughs> and and definitely not the right approach and so i think that you know the racism has always existed and it's something that we we have to actively tackle continually it's not a, a one moment thing it's something that we need to be having conversations around and what was shocking is how bad things were and how people would so seem to be so shocked by this idea of the fact that advertising isn't diverse that people there isn't diversity on boards and it's like that 
the fact that that was a revelation to people in 2020 was really shocking to me. Sure, um, sure. And I think we are very lucky we get to pick and choose the brands that we work with. Um, and we like to work with brands that have very kind of aligned values as much as possible. And we will always naturally bring in um, our approach because people are coming to us and saying, you know, what are people talking about? What's important? And I think that, you know, when we're thinking about things like um, Black Lives Matter and how you approach, you know, your marketing and communication and how you are, what is the very heart of who you are and what you're about, it, it, it needs to be completely in the center of your company. It can't just be a tag on. It can't sure. just be, oh, let's, let's have a diverse casting call for this one kind of advert that we're doing. So yeah. I... I, th I think everything that's happened this year in terms of Black Lives Matter is a conversation that is well overdue and absolutely needs to continue. So that would be my my position on yeah, it. Yeah. I, I, what, what about the kind of things that have been sparked in terms of um, the uh, kind of carbon economy and so on as a result of this change? I mean, how, how is branding sitting in relationship to that hopes of a, of a new future in that kind of direction? I think it's really challenging for a lot of very established companies. I mean, I, so when you're thinking about, you know, the brand landscape, you have your your very established big players. So you might have, you know, your P&Gs and your Unilevers and where where their massive kind of corporate social responsibility is going on. What are they saying as brands and what are they trying to do and how much they're investing in, you know, new packaging and how their technology and, and, and things like that. And then you have these kind of younger D to C brands, which are coming through that are, are basing their entire um, brand ethos, everything they're about and who they're attracting to them is based upon these kind of values of trying to be carbon neutral. So, and trying to be sustainable. And it's still a real challenge because technology hasn't caught up with our ambitions yet so it, it, there's a lag there where we can want to be carbon neutral we can want to be plastic free but of course that's there isn't necessarily a good alternative while you're still running a company so i think sometimes rather than having this kind of broad sweeping wig going to get to zero this or zero that actually what you need to be thinking is incremental fundamental change and i i think it's i you know i do think it's it's really difficult for for a lot of companies it's it's a huge way of changing everything that they do um but it is you know those conversations need to be had i mean this was a a kind of a general a young generation uh, gen z and so on who's whose whole that whole driver marketing was around experience anyway and around value and experience rather than the further acquisition of stuff, you know. Do you notice these kinds of trends, you know, in, in the way in which brands are actually thinking? Are, are they capable of delivering uh, that kind of change, the kind of optimism that people felt? It depends on the brand. I mean, if you're – depends what you're selling, you know. If you're – you know, a car brand and you're trying to appeal to a carbon neutral, you know, consumer, then that you're going to have a real challenge. Um, 
So that's, you know, where we start talking about disruptor brands that are able to come through and alternatives and what, how do people integrate, you know, the, the way they want to live their lives into their brand choices. And essentially that's what we are starting to do. So, you know, from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed, deciding how you want to travel around a city, deciding, you know, are you going to take a bike? Are you going to get a scooter? Are you going to get in a car? You know, those are all daily choices. And then they influence the brands that we're introducing into our lives. And, you know, do you want your sneakers to be made of recycled plastic? Well, if there's, if there's an option and it's as, it's as good as, you know, your other things that you're that are important to you. So if design is really important to you, then you might want a sneaker that is recycled plastic, but is also designed really well. So Allbirds, which is a, a shoe company, which is completely based upon being sustainable, carbon neutral, recycled plastic, um, is often the kind of butt of lots of people's jokes because it's particularly unattractive looking shoe <laughs> you know the crocs of a new generation but but actually you know they stand for really good values and they're trying to move into doing partnerships with adidas and designers so that they can broaden their appeal and broaden their market um and and actually start start creating collaborations with maybe these more established companies you know like an adidas isn't going to be you know have zero plastic anytime soon but actually they are starting to use you know recycled plastics ocean plastics um i i think that it there's a, and, and people are still testing the market and that's where experiences are really good because essentially what you can do is you can bring people in and you can say to people, this is what we're doing. What do you think about it? And I think this idea of brands designing behind the scenes and then releasing a product into market and, and then seeing the reaction, actually savvy brands can start using experiences to co-create with their, with their communities and their audiences. And actually work out what is really important to them what do they really want from you and is is it that you know it's carbon neutral is it you know is it a reaction to our modern times what what are they after yeah i mean you, you i was taken uh, very much by something you you said recently in a an article you had written about um the the first return to sort of normality won't be hallmarked by shopping that won't be the source of relief it will actually be um, through ways in which we seek to celebrate friendships and connectivity and so on. You know, I, I, I think that's a, uh, an incredibly in interesting thing. Um, well, I mean, it's heartening. I, I know we kind of like to make a little bit of fun of um, Eat Out to Help Out. I think Rishi's kind of initiative to get us all back into restaurants, but it's been a huge success. People have absolutely flocked Um to in their millions to purchase meals kind of mondays mondays to wednesdays and when you think about what that is and what it's, it's about being in a restaurant again it's about being with people that you like it's about this kind of connection and sure. i think that that's been much more successful than retailers opening their doors and actually when you look at the football in shopping areas you know when you look at um, as city centres, especially places like London or big um, shopping centres, which, you know, I really don't didn't want people to kind of go back and start queuing out kind of fast fashion um, uh, stores. It, it's, it's reassuring and kind of reinforces this idea of we are looking for experiences. Uh, I feel like there is still, a, we're still in a bit of a kind of 
um, a gap between when all experiences can open up again and people can go out and do all these things. But think about how many people are going to the beach and how many people are going walking and talking about the things they're doing, taking up new hobbies where they're um, learning how to skate and cooking and sharing. Those are all experiences and they're they're personal experiences. But but clever brands can, can tap into those and start actually offering them to people. And my hope is that they're and we stop buying more stuff, stuff we don't need, stuff that damages the planet. Um, you know, fast fashion is terrible. <laughs> it's so, so bad. And actually, if we can, if, if those companies can take some responsibility and actually say, we're going to offer something different to our community that doesn't necessarily affect our bottom line and, and brings us some money in, but means that we're just being a bit more responsible, then that would be an incredible thing to come out of what has been a very challenging time for a lot of people. Sean, how, how do you think this translates to uh, smaller companies, smaller operations, what, what do you think they should be looking at now in terms of, you know, how, how marketing and brand and so on can actually help them get back into some sort of working life and some sort of sense of a, of a new normal? I mean, I think that building your community is incredibly important. And so working out how you can communicate with the people that purchase from you, how you can create a connection with them, how you can find out what it is that they love about your brand and why they're buying your brand and how you can then tap into giving them more of that is incredibly is incredibly useful thing to do at this time. You know, people are receptive to hearing from, um, from the people that they kind of buy from and they're happy to share information with their friends and family and say, you know, I love this product because of X, Y, and Z. Um, so brands that are, are doing really interesting things are like maybe they're going doing um, Instagram lives where they're talking about what their products are or they're offering some free, you know, masterclasses. There's some really um, inexpensive ways to connect and have people coming back for, for more. So for instance, if you were uh, I'm trying to think of a brand. Like if you were a jam company, for instance, you know, could you do jam making lessons online where people learn how to make your jam and they learn how to use it and they and they just feel like they're just invited into your brand a little bit more and they know a little bit more about you because increasingly we're not going to be want to be purchasing off faceless companies um, and. Actually, it's a real challenge for these big, big, big companies that have these huge brands um, to still being able to connect with people. So I think there's a real opportunity for small brands at the moment. But I I sense that that, um, just reiteration doesn't work. They they can't just take their old marketing and kind of force it into the whole of the the new world, of the digital, you know. Um, How do they navigate that? What what should they be looking out for in terms of constructing a new approach? So I I don't think that a physical presence um, should replace a digital presence. Absolutely things need to go in tandem now. So we're no longer in a world where these things are split out and siloed. You need to be thinking about how you're looking after your customer from the whole journey. Um, And so, but it all fits together. And what you really need to think is, do I care about this? If you're creating something and you look at it and you just kind of think, this is a bit boring, then it probably is going to be boring to other people too. I mean, I think one of the really striking things um, about the the work you've done, uh, the campaigns that you've run, the the experiences you've put together, is the extent to which the digital and the physical um, 
you know, actually are together, that, that you work on both fronts, you know. And um, I see this term repeated, and uh, I think it's a really in- interesting one, which is the digital, the crossover between the physical and the digital. And we all love a word like that, don't we? Some sort of compound, you know. Um, could you sort of explain to us what that is and what a good digital activity might actually, uh, what, it, what its hallmarks would be? Absolutely. So tradition like a few years ago when people the word digital first started coming up people were thinking about how do you put digital into a physical environment and it was you know as with emerging technology a lot of it was fairly for want of a better word dull i mean so it was like how do you have a tablet in a in a top shop that people can go and like browse the products while they're looking at the clothes in the store now i mean i none of that particularly excites me i don't really want to just have a replica of like a larger version of my phone that i can scroll through in a store but it was the emerging of how do you bring that in so then it started moving into mirrors and changing rooms that you could press buttons on and then it would kind of flash up clothes as if you were those were the items that you had but when we went into lockdown the words sort of started getting flipped around because of course we went completely digital and then it was like well how can we still be physical how can we have this cut through and it's a it's been a real challenge as i i think we we both agreed that you know zoom calls are not enough anymore and we actually reached a point where you know zoom fatigue is a real thing and if um and so Fidgetal is something that people are increasingly trying to think about. So when we first, as I went into lockdown, it it was a little bit like if you're a drinks brand and you're doing online cocktail making classes, how can you actually physically get into somebody's kind of house, essentially? It's like, could you also sell them, you know, a lovely set of cocktail glasses and miniature bottles of the alcohol you were using so they could go along with you? So they were physically able to do something in their environment that engaged with the digital at the same time. And as we then kind of come out of lockdown, really those two worlds are merging even further. And I've been, you know, in conversations with um, clients recently that are launching physical, digital-only platforms, and they're like, "We have to have a physical presence to launch," which is really interesting. Sure. The digital have decided they have to still be physical as well. So this kind of crossover of physical and digital into our worlds is not something that's going away. It's something that's just going to increase more and more. There's interesting development happening in retail at the moment around how do you make digital retail more interesting? And there's loads of tech and investment that's happening there. And there's a company in America called Obsess, which um, Jeff Bezos just invested in, um, which is all about creating these kind of virtual um, stores and showrooms and how you can go around them and actually pick up clothes and touch buttons and the clothes appear for you. It will be interesting to see how much what the ROI is on ultimately on something like that. And actually, do we get to a point where people will still want to go into physical stores to purchase things or whether this kind of hybrid between our idea of what is physical and what is digital can continue to cross over? Other changes on the level of marketing which have occurred, which are things like the kind of decline, the rapid decline in things like influencer um marketing and so on you know that seems to have taken a i mean for me a kind of unexpected dive during this uh during this uh this time whereas you would have thought that that would have increased in power you know um you know have you noticed that as well or 
I think it's, I mean, I think it's challenging to influence from your bedroom, isn't it? If you're not going out there. And I think that's, you know, hand in hand. I wrote a blog piece um, last year about how influencers depended upon experiences because actually by building, you know, amazing experiences, they'll want to come and be able to use that as a backdrop of the content they're creating for brands. So clever brands could create experiences which influencers would want to come to for free because they want to create the content and you'd get your consumers and you'd be, so actually if you start off with the experience that you know build it and they will come as they say um i think that the you're always going to have trends you're always going to have things that pop up you know i feel very much when we went into lockdown that everybody went digital there was this huge shift where it was like that's all we were talking about and it felt like nobody had the foresight to think well what happens when we get out of lockdown will people still want to be just fully digital and if you're only thinking in this short-termist way uh, and I think influencers especially at their start is a very short-termist way of thinking you know we'll pay this person to promote our brand there wasn't really very much regulation in terms of how many people how much engagement there really was and it 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 felt like a bandwagon that everybody jumped onto. And and I understand, you know, marketers are now having to be essentially the kind of sales driver for businesses and they're under a lot of pressure. And if they see something working over here, then they're like, okay, well, we'll pivot over to there. But there's some truly scary figures about how much money has been lost giving money to influencers that didn't, didn't deliver. Um, and I think that, there will always be some form of brands connecting with people that have communities, whatever those communities are. So whether that is, you know, in in days gone by, that might have been um, tapping into chambers of commerce, for instance, and you might have kind of gone to them and asked them to put your details in your newsletter. And I guess influences are uh, a slightly more fancy version of that same principle, but it has evolved. And I'm, kind of you know long answer to to the question is i no i'm not that surprised that it's it they've come to an end okay. <laughs> all right just to put you on the uh on the on the on the spot a little bit um so uh we're speaking you know now towards the end of august um can i ask you just to flag up some uh some examples that you were say were kind of um high quality really indicative good practice um campaigns that you've seen recently or things that are emerging that we should um have a look out for is there anything you you would that's taken your eye that we, you think we should engage with it's obviously a bit of a challenge because we have been in lockdown and i think that that in itself has been you know obviously a lot of physical things have just stopped um there is an amazing store in canada um for a company called canada goose which make kind of very expensive winter jackets um, and they created a store um, that launched at the beginning of the year um, in Toronto which is what I would say best in class um, in terms of experiences so you um, have to sign up for a digital guest list before you arrive and you and you arrive in small groups so groups around six and they call it the journey and as you enter you it's as if you're walking into a mountain crevice and you walk over um, a glass glass footpath that then has looks like it's ice and it cracks under your feet as you walk wow. across it you then walk into another room and you get given a can 
Anna Degu's jacket to put on, um, and you then get taken into a cold room that looks like the tundra, and it, it's um, <clears throat> down to I think it's like minus 15 degrees Celsius. So you can actually try out this jacket within the environment that they say it's kind of best suited for. So it's kind of incredibly cold winter environment, and then you walk into another room and they have these amazing projections on the walls which show the wildlife and you so you feel like you're kind of up in the arctic walking along in these jackets and you don't they don't actually carry any stock you can't buy the jacket and walk out there you can purchase them and they will deliver it to you same day in the area or overnight anywhere in canada um and this is you know, best in class experiential retail, just really fantastic. So it's not a kind of a flash in the pan, it's a permanent store. And they have been hugely successful during lockdown because the CEO came out and said, this was essentially designed for COVID times. It's completely safe, we're able to clean, we're able to have people in small groups um, and, and people are seeking it out as a destination to come to. So when we think about experiential marketing, really you should be thinking about actually something that maybe has a longer lifespan than just a pop-up. It could be something that lasts for, you know, a month or six months or, you know, as a permanent store rollout. So I think that's a really good example of like some really incredible experience yeah, wow. that's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah. And um, just, just closing, could you um, tell me a little bit about the Meredith Collective? If I, I'm a, a company, I've got my, my brand and so on, and I'm looking, you know, to, to start afresh in, in, in these times, I come to you, what, what services do you offer and what's the kind of approach you take to engagement with, um, you know, a new, a new client and so on? Absolutely. So essentially, we primarily offer a consultancy service for um, startups and established brands working across kind of um, luxury, FMCG, D2C, so direct-to-consumer um, uh, products. And we, what we do is we really help get your products in front of people in a way that's really engaging and that they're going to want to care about. So the way that we would work is that we would come in and we would essentially do kind of a research, a deep dive into where you're at and what you might need, um, and then essentially design um, whether it can be a, a one activation or a series of activations or a whole strategy for you about how you can use experiential along the customer journey to really engage people. So that's essentially what we do for brands um, and companies that come to us. And that can kind of come in many different forms. So it could be something where, as I said, it could be a permanent store or it could just be a campaign that people might want to kind of launch to launch a new product or something like that. Um, in addition to that, we also have our own brand kind of activations that we build. So a few years ago, I created the world's first Christmas rage room where you could smash up Christmas to make Christmas carol. Um, and so those, those are ideas that that I fundamentally think should exist in the world. And I think they're interesting and engaging. Um, uh, we created the world's first avocado only restaurant at the start of the avocado trend. Um, and brands can, can then plug into those as well. So we have something that, as I mentioned earlier, that we're working on, that we're bringing to life in central London, which is this incredible, really conversation about rewilding and how we can you know integrate more nature into our cities. And brands can approach us to be part of that as well. So 
I think some of the, the challenges for people is they're wondering how to work with an experiential agency because they're like, oh, is it just a pop-up? Is it just a brand experience? But actually it's about a strategy and it's about creating something that actually you could activate yourself. So we can dovetail in and we can come in and we can create a plan for you. And then you can go away and do that yourself in your own time. So it doesn't have to be that we are then providing the entire service, which means we can or work in a global capacity as well, which is really exciting. Great. And um, just to close, how can people connect with you? What's the best way to make connection with the Meredith Collective? Absolutely. Well, you can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm always really happy to connect on LinkedIn. Um, it's Meredith O'Shaughnessy, which is quite long, so make sure you spell it correctly. Um, and then, obviously, our um, website. We're about to launch a newsletter. So um, next, kind of in the middle of next month, so in September, we'll be having a newsletter that you could sign up for, which will be informing people of updates in, you know, best in class and experiential and experiential trends and, you know, marketing trends around the world. So that's the best way to connect. Well, brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, uh, Meredith. I'm very grateful to you and, uh, and good luck and uh, hope to speak again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. 